we're seeing now more and more how external factors are impacting our risk profile and impacting organizations in lots of different ways. Welcome to Meet the Leader, a podcast where top leaders share how they're tackling the world's toughest challenges. Today's episode, we learn what the world's top risk officers want us to pay attention to right now. Subscribe to Meet the Leader on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And please take a moment to rate and review us. I'm Linda Lucina from the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. As a chief risk officer, uh, you are basically a firefighter, you're a diplomat, you're an investigator, you're an agony aunt, you're all of those things and more. But ultimately, the role of the CRO is basically to ensure that you've got effective systems and processes in place to be able to identify material risks to your business that's internal and external. A first ever report launched this July from the forum, one that takes a mid-year pulse from chief risk officers and helps bring a little bit of clarity in a very confusing world across things like geopolitics, the economy, society. The results are collected in the chief risk officers outlook and help us better understand what experts believe are the threats that could destabilize markets or economies all in the next six months. The report also does something else. It gives a special window into the world of the chief risk officer. This is a group of people who sees risk as a business enabler, not a business paralyzer, and helps leaders around the world chart a path forward. Bahari Haywood will give her thoughts on the chief risk officer's outlook and help us understand what we should be paying attention to right now. She will also give more insights on her role, one that she has helped shape at the global law firm Clifford Chance. And she'll give us a better understanding of how risk can help anyone better plan for challenges ahead. She'll get into all of that. But first, we'll talk about the Chief Risk Officer's Outlook and why it's so important. For us as CROs, it's really important to be continually calibrating our views and perspective. And this was done in a really digestible and concise way. So I was I was really delighted to read it. It was also quite a helpful sort of half-year checkpoint thing, which I think everybody will agree is even more critical now than it has been in the past, particularly as we're in such a fast-paced and fast-changing uh, environment and ecosystem from a risk perspective. I think for me, it's important to keep track of what's going on in the world outside. It's sometimes very easy when you're dealing with the risk to become very insular and to just sort of look into your organization. But we're seeing now more and more how external factors are impacting our risk profile and impacting organizations in lots of different ways that, as I say, are increasingly unpredictable. So this type of report for me is absolutely critical. I have to say, if I look across my desk, I've got about seven or eight of them. But this was quite unusual in that it did specifically reflect the the outlook from the chief risk officer community. And is there anything that um, either surprised you or, or really stood out? to you, especially given your role? I'm pleased to say that uh, it was actually relatively consistent with my own views, which is quite reassuring. Uh, I'd be a little bit worried if it wasn't, but uh, clearly there are some consistent themes here that we're all worrying about, we're all grappling with. AI, without a doubt, is one that is top of everybody's list. I mean, the level of uncertainty in terms of the direction of AI and and certainly the way that it's going to impact our lives, let alone our businesses, is enormous. So 
there was some really valuable insight in relation to that. And of course, the other big topic, which sort of impacts us both in from a sort of personal perspective, and also from a, a professional work perspective is around geopolitical instability. Again, we're seeing a lot of that. And of course, finally, economic instability as well. That's always uh, something that we are keeping a very close eye on. And people who are reading this who may not be um, in your exact profession, what do you recommend that they think about or what filter should they take as they as they read this? Do you have any sort of thoughts for maybe a lens that they should have as they go through it? I think read it in a way uh, alongside perhaps some other materials. I found reading this alongside the annual risk outlook was quite helpful. I think it's helpful to get a sense of directionally how things are changing. And as I said, this is a bit of a pulse point for us mid-year. Reading it alongside the much more detailed global risk outlook, I think is always a really, really good way to get a really good sense of of what is going on around you, but also how things are then evolving. And also just to to build on what you had mentioned about AI and sort of the geopolitical instability, uh, if someone's reading this, what should they be really paying attention to given given those particular risks? Is there anything in particular they should be be doing? Absolutely. I mean, the the two quite different, uh, distinct risks Um, I think the first thing with anything like this, particularly where it's fast moving, where it's new, it's to take a step back and really understand how it impacts your business. Um, So AI, for for example, um, will have a number of different impacts on your organization. Uh, For us, I'll give you uh, an example. Obviously, AI uh, is something that we could use within our own organization. It's something that you can use within sort of all different types of processes to help perhaps make them more efficient and so on. But also there is then the possibility to use AI in the context of providing legal advice, right? We've seen things like ChatGPT and and, uh, the power of that. But of course, that comes with its own quite serious and significant risk. So really understanding the impact that it has on your business and all the different facets of your business is really, really important. And that will vary from organization to organization. So really taking the time to understand that. From a geopolitical perspective, I mean, this is an interesting one because obviously it has strategic implications for organizations, but also it has operational uh, implications. And I think sometimes that operational piece is Uh, is forgotten. A good example of that is that increasingly we're seeing more sort of protectionist data laws as data is increasingly commoditized and seen as a very, very valuable asset. These protectionist data laws have very sort of significant operational implications on our business. How do you start to create an IT infrastructure that is able to comply with these requirements? That stuff, particularly for an organization the size of mine, which is 26 or more countries, is a very complex uh, exercise. And it's something that you really need to be thinking about years in advance. It's not something that you're going to be able to find a solution to overnight. I think the same goes for AI. The same goes actually for all of these kind of very, very, very large uh, global risks that we've outlined in this report. These are things that are going to have both short-term and long-term implications. And really understanding that in great detail about your own business is so important. I want to talk a little bit about your role too. We've been talking about chief risk officers and maybe folks listening to this, maybe they're learning about this particular position, important position for the first time. You are the first chief risk officer for Clifford Chance, and we are going to get into that in a second. But uh, can you tell us a little bit, just uh, lay the lay the groundwork for us, um, what is a chief risk officer and uh, why is that role so important? Oh, well, okay. As a chief risk officer, uh, you are basically a firefighter, you're a diplomat, you're an uh, investigator, you're an agony aunt, you are all sorts of things. You're all of those things and more. But ultimately, the role of the CRO is basically to ensure that you've got effective systems and processes in place to be able to 
identify material risks to your business. That's internal and external. And for me, the role of the CRO, as as you mentioned, is fundamentally uh, to be a business enabler. I really see my role as providing information and solutions to my leadership to allow them to sort of achieve their business imperatives and to do that in a way which is within the firm's risk appetite and in a way which is sustainable. I think that for me is absolutely key. Besides being an agony aunt, when you say agony aunt, how so? How does well, you, you, somebody that's sort of like absorbing, absorbing the, the the regular pains of business? Is is that what you mean? Or tell me about that. I love that. But do you know what? In every single way, absolutely. You you tend to be the go to person when there's a problem, and the problem can be you know a strategic one, or it could be something really small. It could be conflicts internally between individuals. So it could be at that kind of human level, or it could be something super strategic, uh, you know, to do with sort of pe- perhaps uh, one of the risks that we just talked about. Uh, but you have to be prepared to hear people out and listen and, and really ultimately give them some kind of solution or direction. And to give people a little bit of a sense sort of on the uh, the block and tackle of what that looks like when you're creating these solutions, how does that express itself in your day-to-day? But you know, it's interesting because I think every CRO will tell you that your day, every day is completely varied. There is no day like another and it's all totally unpredictable. So you've got to be somebody who adores that. You've got to wake up thinking, I have no idea what's going to happen today, but whatever it is, we'll fix it. So you need to be really solutions oriented. And I would say probably about 50% of my day is uh, structured, planned for events. So obviously I have my standard, the standing calls, ERM, sort of enterprise risk management tends to be quite structured. So you're working through the risks that you've identified and so on. So that's pretty structured. But the rest of the time, it really is about solving problems. It really is about sort of interacting with people, hearing problems, and also just getting involved in conversations and understanding what's going on in your business, right? Because without knowing what's going on, I can't really advise my business. I don't really understand the issues. So I spend a lot of my time in meetings with all of the different functions. So I'll go to lots of meetings with HR to understand what they're doing. IT, I'm very close with. I would say I probably interact with our CIO six or seven times a day in terms of messaging. We're messaging constantly, and that will be the same for most CROs. So you're really getting into the the belly of the business. You have to understand it from in, in all of its glory and literally in, in every element of it, understanding what our lawyers do, understanding what the business professionals do and so on. So that's really a large proportion of my day. And then, of course, when you least need it, uh, you have a curveball or a crisis and that then requires you to drop everything and, and things start to get a little bit more serious. There's also an element where you're helping people think about things with certain frameworks, right? Tell us a little bit about that, about how your work is working as a business enabler uh, and not a paralyzer. You need to understand your risk landscape. You need to understand what your issues are and you really need to understand what you need to care about and what you don't care about. And in order to be able to do that properly, you need a framework. And uh, this is something that, that I introduced uh, some time ago. It, it's, it's pretty much standard practice within the risk world. But a framework doesn't really have to be fancy. What you do need is to really create something which allows you to be able to understand where the risks are in your business and actually what the impact is of those risks on your business, what the likelihood is on your business, and then to create a plan around actually addressing them. So that's kind of a standard, you know, a simplistic level what risk management is. What are the potential risks to me? What is the potential impact? What is the potential likelihood? We also look at it in terms of velocity as well. And that's particularly important because risks are now crystallizing 
so much faster than they used to. So we look at it. And when you've considered all of those, it's about meeting with the right body within your organization to take a view on your risk appetite and really agreeing between you, what am I going to do about it? So risk management is really basically an action plan. It should be you know, if you're doing it effectively, um, a bit of a shopping list of things that you really need to get done to address your issues. And then in terms of how we become an enabler, if you build the right kind of relationships within your organization, you can very quickly start to add value. And I, I'll give you an example uh, recently, which actually made me laugh. I was dealing with a very, very senior colleague of mine who is also within the firm's leadership. And he called me about an issue. We were talking about a, a bit of a strategy around how we're going to deal with it. And I said to him, look, when you decide to go ahead with this, can you just let me know? And he said, oh, oh, of course I will. I don't do anything without calling you first. You're like the Ghostbusters, which I thought was absolutely brilliant and it sort of made me realize okay so we are at a point where people are starting to really really focus on the importance of risk i love it i love it ghostbuster uh, agony ant firefighter those are all things i wish i could put in my linkedin uh <laughs> when we're looking at this too i think it was uh, one of the things that was really interesting as you say hey it's an action plan and i think that's so important to stress because i think so many people when there's a threat especially one that they haven't dealt with and we're going to be facing more and more threats that we haven't maybe predicted necessarily that people People can can kind of shut down. I just wanted to double click on that, as as they say, because it, it's so important for people to to realize that there's more options um, if they uh, have an action plan in place uh, to to solve a problem. What is what is your take on that? Uh, as far as like people sort of being freed uh, to to kind of have that full range of uh, creativity in in moving something forward. There's certainly some creativity in risk management. You have to be a bit creative to come up with solutions. But in terms of the actual doing, it is really best to have it structured. Uh, and that's sort of where you've, there's the balance between having free reign to be a bit more creative and the space to think things, think out of the box. But also a framework allows you to have a bit of structure around the methodology, if you will, around how you do this. And I think what's really key in an organization, and this is why ERM is called enterprise risk management, is whatever methodology suits you, whatever it is you're doing that is an effective way to identify, assess, manage, and monitor your risks, you want to do that across your organization and you want to do that consistently, right? Because that then starts to give you your risk landscape. Uh, and you can start to look across all of your risks. And because you've got that consistency, you can actually start to see interdependencies. You can start to see, right, I've got an issue over here. And actually, if that materializes, that's going to impact this issue over here that I'm worried about. And much like the sort of global risk ecosystem, your internal business risk ecosystem will be very interconnected. And so having a methodology around how you do that and doing that consistently will allow you to have really great visibility. And that's the kind of information that you need within your leadership teams to make good decisions. So I think in some ways, I'm not sure if that answered your question or not, but I think it's a combination. And what is the risk of not having a chief risk officer? This is sort of still a relatively new role. Not every organization has one of these uh, in place in, in this sort of way. Um, why is it so important to, to have this capability? You're absolutely right. Not all organizations will have a CRO. But so, you know, we shouldn't panic. We don't you know, uh, we don't have CROs and we're not all going to run out tomorrow and call ourselves CROs. Uh, you know, it really depends on sort of the governance model of your organization. 
But what every organization, I think, needs is someone who understands your business, someone who understands your strategic imperatives, and someone who is then able to independently and proactively, and that's key, those two key, I think, uh, words are independently and proactively, look across your organization and advise your leadership uh, on the things that they need to be worried about. And that's very much the role of the CRO, and that independent point, independence point is, is critical. And they need to be then relaying that back to leadership to say, look, these are the things you need to be worried about. These are the things that are coming down the line. And you need to think about these when you're making your decisions. That's how you start to integrate risk management with your strategic priorities. And that's how risk management really helps you make better decisions. You're, you're sort of armed with the right information. So if you don't have someone with a formal title or if you're a risk person out there without that formal title, I think it doesn't matter. But the other key thing is that I think to really run a risk function, to do risk management effectively, you do need to actually have some level of seniority. And again, I think that's where some organizations get it wrong. This is not a back of house type uh, of role whatsoever. You need somebody that you trust and you respect and somebody that, if not formally, at least informally has a seat at the table, because otherwise there is a complete disconnect between sort of all of the work that's going on around identifying the risks within your business. And then when you're making a decision over here, if you don't understand what those risks are, then you're not actually managing your risks effectively. So I think that independence, proactivity, but seniority and a seat at the table, I guess that's the, those are the fundamental pillars of doing this well. Now, you are the first chief risk officer at uh, Clifford Chance, and I'm sure that they saw that you know, the, all the things you've talked about, the accelerating change, accelerating risk, and hey, we need to think about this in a structured way. But tell us a little bit about your unique experience sort of coming on board with this and of helping to, to build this. It's going back a long time now, almost a decade. And I think it's something that many of my peers will be familiar with. It's very much a, a journey. And uh, I remember back then when I sort of first joined the team, I mean, obviously, every organization manages its risks. We're doing it on a day-to-day -day basis. We're doing it at a personal level every time we cross the road. You're doing a risk assessment, right, when you're looking left and right and taking a decision to cross. So you're managing risk. And I think that was happening fine. Certainly in my sector, in the legal sector, I think historically the tendency was to for risk to form part of the general counsel function. And it was very much internally focused. So legal and regulatory risk claims, maybe a sprinkling of cyber at the time and so on. But really, that was pretty much it. And as I say, that was very very, very consistent across the sector. When I took on the role, what I really wanted to do was to add some formality and some structure around it, as we discussed. I'm someone who likes things really, really ordered. And I, uh, I sort of raised this with our GC at the time. And he said to me, well, you know, give me your proposal. And I went and I did a professional postgraduate diploma in GRC. And I have to say, this is really important. Risk management is a technical discipline. And uh, in many organizations, in many sectors, in many areas, you, you do need to have those qualifications to be able to do it effectively. It's really something that I think would benefit anybody who wants to go into risk to have the technical qualifications, because I think that really helps you understand actually what you're trying to do and how to do it. It really gives you the tools to do it. And so I did that and, and set about designing my framework. And do you know what? It was a little bit like 
baking a cake. <laughs> you think, what's she talking about? It was a little bit like I had all the ingredients, right? So we did it and I had all the right ingredients. So we, we were good eggs generally. We had, what I didn't have was the recipe. And that's what my framework was. So it, that's, that's my risk cake. So I had all the good, I had all the, the ingredients and what I needed was a recipe. And that essentially was my framework. And, you know, we then set about designing something which worked for us. And there is no blueprint. I don't think we should listen to anybody who says, you know, this is what good looks like, because I think this is all very, very particular and unique to your own organization. You need to understand your own risk landscape, but you need to understand firm's risk maturity and so on. So there are lots of different factors which really feed into what a good framework looks like for an organization. And started off, and I have to say there's one one thing that I would absolutely say about designing a framework from scratch is that start simple. I went down this rabbit hole originally of wanting to do all the bells and whistles. I was quite excited having come off d- doing my uh, diploma. And I thought, you know, I want it all. And I think when I sat down with a cold towel over my head one day, I thought, okay, that's definitely not going to work. And I realized very, very quickly that I was starting from from a relatively low baseline in terms of the formalities of risk management. I don't want to think that we were not managing risk before then, by the way. We, we absolutely were. But, you know, the, the technical stuff, the, the jargon and so on. And so it was very much starting from a very, very simple model. And, you know, now over the last eight years, we've really evolved to, to a level of maturity and sophistication that I'm quite proud of. And as you were building this, especially in the early days, what surprised you about building this? I know you were talking about, hey, start simple with the frameworks. But is there anything else that really surprised you about what's needed and what can really help? such a thing be successful in an organization? Honestly, I thought it was just about the framework. I thought this is going to be really easy. And this is the folly of youth, isn't it? Came, I thought this is going to be absolutely easy. I know what a good framework looks like. No problem. You know, I've, I've got my, I've got my paper, bit of paper, it's fine. And again, very quickly, I realized the framework is just the start. And I realized very, very quickly that you can have all the wonderful frameworks and processes that you have and that's all great. But in reality, risk management is about changing culture and evolving a risk culture and developing a compliance culture. And that was a bit of a surprise to me. And I have to say, I was pretty shocked at the amount of time it would help take for me to really take my organization on that journey. So I think you have to be prepared for that. You have to sort of be prepared to really go on a journey with your organization. You've got to take them by the hand. I don't want to say drag them kicking and screaming, but certainly coax them with you and really get people to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it and why it's important. Because without that, you're not going to get by. And so that kind of what's in it for me question was really fundamental. So it became apparent to me that my framework was fine. But actually, there was a lot of work. And really, I think it took me about three years to properly embed it. What has been really helpful in kind of nudging that culture change along, helping with that evolution? Are there certain uh, either tactics or strategies as you've built things with the teams, co-created things that you've got? Gosh, this has been really helpful to get everybody um, having a contribution to these conversations and, and really feeling part of it. What, what worked for you? First of all, I think one of the most critical factors is you do need to have the support and the buy-in from your key stakeholder. So in, in, in my case, it was our global managing partner. And that is absolutely critical. If you have the sort of the support and the buy-in from the, the top, you are much more likely to succeed. And without that, it's actually a, a bit of a struggle 
So I think once you have that, it's a question of then starting to bring everybody else in the tent. And I was really fortunate because our managing partner at the time totally bought into it. He wanted to do this. He really empowered me to do this. He turned up to all the meetings. He supported me. And I, and I knew that if I didn't include him in a meeting that some of my other key stakeholders, and remember, this is the early days, people hadn't really drunk the Kool-Aid quite yet. I knew they wouldn't turn up. So there were times where I'd just say, you know, please, do you, do you mind just coming to this meeting? Because otherwise I'm not sure I'll get them in the room and he was delighted to do that so I was really fortunate to have a key sponsor that fully supported this and I think that's the first thing the next thing is really finding ways within your organization to make sort of key stakeholders accountable and responsible and that for me again was quite critical moment and the way that I started off doing it and by the way this isn't this isn't necessarily going to be textbook but you know sometimes you have to be as you say creative to get things moving and to get things to go in the right direction and really I decided the only way I was going to actually get the people around this table it was called the executive leadership group, but it would be sort of the the board in, in other organizations to really pay attention was to make them each accountable and responsible for one of the global risks. And at the time, they were called the global strategic risks. So I really assigned uh, each of them a risk with the help of my managing partner. And then I thought, right, well, how am I going to walk into the room and not have them switch off and look at their emails? I thought, right, not only do they own the risks, but they have to present the risks. And at this point, I have to tell you, they started to pay attention. At this point, I was getting phone calls saying, should we meet up and talk about that risk? And say, yeah, yeah, of course, let's do that. And then I thought, right, well, how do I actually really get them to pay attention? And then I thought, right, now I need to get them to challenge each other on the risks. And so it created a virtuous cycle of them actually being interested because not only were they responsible, but they were actually presenting the risks themselves. They kind of needed to know what they were talking about. But then their colleagues um, were challenging them on what they were saying. So they wanted to make absolutely sure that A, we'd have made progress, but B, that they knew what they were talking about. And are there other tells that that, uh, that it's working, right? That you have embedded this into the culture and that this is now sort of part of people's DNA, that it's part of how they're thinking and how they're approaching problem solving. What, what are the tells? Oh, well, absolutely. That sort of that use of a common language is so important. And it, it really was for me a, a real moment when uh, my sort of leadership team, but also my peers and the heads of functions and the heads of departments were starting to use the language. It really was actually for me quite a spectacular moment. But there are definitely other ways to get a sense that your organization is moving in the right direction, particularly in terms of culture. And as I said, this all ultimately comes down to culture. And that's really combined with giving people your space, uh, giving your people the space to have a speak up culture. So when people start to raise problems to you and they come to you directly, I think that's a pretty good indicator that you're doing something right. And I think if you're a partner to the business, if you demonstrate to the business that you add value, that you're going to help them find solutions, you'll find that that actually is quite a good and effective way of getting that to happen. Obviously, I, I do a lot of talking, I do a lot of reviews, we have audits and so on. But really, the key to me sort of getting insight into the organization is the information that comes to me. Uh, and it's usually unsolicited. So I think when you start to see people coming to you to help 
uh, with solutions, you, you can know that you're on the right track. It's It's been eight years. So much has changed. So much is in place. Uh, if you were going to go and talk to Bahari at the beginning of all that, and you could save her some time, get, help her be a better agony aunt, uh, you know, what would you, uh, what would you tell her? What would be really helpful for her to know? This is a really good question um, because there is actually something that I was told. It was a, a great bit of advice that I was given and that uh, I wish I had listened more. But what I would say is that not everything is as bad as it seems. And as I say, I was giving this bit of advice from my former general counsel. He was a he was very seasoned, real professional, a class act. And he said to me, things are very rarely as bad as they seem. Don't, you know, don't sweat it. And his mantra was, go away, think about it for five minutes and come back and tell me if, if you feel the same way. And of course, at the time, I, I was eager and I thought, God, this guy doesn't understand how urgent this is. This is a catastrophe. He has no idea this is going to be a car crash. And I often would go away and sulk for five minutes and come back and actually... I now realize he was absolutely right, giving yourself some time to reflect and really sort of analyzing the situation is important. If you were going to give advice to other folks that are looking to create this capability in their own companies, uh, whether it is uh, uh, an actual uh, chief risk officer or whether it is more of uh, maybe a department that's looking at this in a more structured, or more formal way, uh, what are the top questions they should be asking themselves or what are the things they would be uh, fools not to be putting into place or considering? Uh, what, what's your advice for them? Well, I think there are a couple of key questions that we all need to ask ourselves. I continue to ask myself the question periodically. And the first is, do you have the right expertise, team and tool to be able to do your job well? Now, if you've got a framework, this will form part of that and your leadership will be uh, required to make sure that you have the right tools, the right skills, the right team to be able to do your job. But I do think that this is an area that gets neglected and you find risk professionals scrambling, trying to do things themselves without the support system, the mechanism they need around them. So that's the first thing that I would say is make sure you've got the right setup around you to allow you to do your job well. And if you don't, then you should be going and talking to your leadership team. You should be talking to your sort of your key stakeholders about that. So I think that's fundamental. The other thing that I would say is do think about creating a framework. Do think about creating a mechanism, a methodology, a structure to help you most effectively identify, assess and manage your risks. Uh, it's not just about firefighting. I mean, the firefighting is something that we do for a proportion of the time, sometimes more than I'd like. But, you know, you do need to have structure when it comes to, to this. And increasingly, you need to be thinking about emerging risks. And we talked a little bit about the complex nature of the risk landscape. I now find myself spending much more time thinking about emerging risks than I have ever in the past. And that's because things are just moving so quickly to have a cadence, a rhythm for sort of our sort of horizon scanning. Now that's on sort of turbo speed in terms of the emerging risks. And I've got a much more extensive emerging risks log than I have ever had. And the number of things that I'm just keeping an eye on because they're bubbling in the background has, has grown dramatically. So making sure that you understand the fast pace nature of the change that's happening around you and that you have a mechanism for being able to keep up with that is is really critical as well. And then lastly, I think the key here is about building relationships. I really wouldn't be able to do my job if I didn't have excellent relationships with 
all of my colleagues and my peers. And I cannot stress how important that is. I mean, you can still get your job done if you don't have good relationships, but the reality is it's going to be so much harder. And so building the relationships to let you have candid conversations, to allow you to build the respect, and that's particularly important to be able to sort of be seen as a senior advisor, all of that needs you to have really good relationships. And as I say, I rely on the rest of my firm to tell me about things that I wouldn't otherwise know about. I don't know everything. No chief risk officer knows everything. We're really very dependent on the people around us feeding us the information and so that we can really help them make good decisions. So that I think would be the third element that I would always say is fundamental. Is there a protocol or or are there certain places that you go to sort of even outside your organization, things you read, things you watch for that you're looking for so that you can keep up to date on emerging risks? What do you read? What are you looking at to keep up to date on this? I mean, there are lots of great publications out there, too many to name. I think the key is to find something which is also, well, you want two different sort of lenses, really. You want a general global type of thing, like the chief risk officer's outlook, but also you need things that are specific to your sector or business. You know, I'm in the legal sector. We're heavily regulated. The, the issues that I will face will be very different to another type of organization. So making sure that you're staying ahead of the global stuff, but also staying ahead of things that are relevant to your industry or sector is really, really important. Uh, you had uh, other roles before this one. What helped prepare you for this? Was there an experience or maybe even a particular uh, job where you uh, were able to develop the, the relationship skills or even the structure skills that have helped you with this? Is there something that really kind of prepared you for this role right now? Do you know what? It's, you continue to evolve and grow, don't you? It doesn't matter how long you've been doing something and uh, how sort of much experience you had. I think plenty more to learn yet. But I have to say that the key thing that I have learned over the years in in doing risk was resilience. You have to be very resilient. And that that just came with experience. As I said, learning that it's not the end of the world, not every problem is going to be catastrophic. Learning to deal with a lot of stress. I think, you know, don't underestimate the amount of stress that you, your chief risk officers are, are under and the amount of stress that they deal with on a daily basis. At the end of the day, we are the people that pretty much deal with things going wrong. There's very little upside, although I do think that increasingly as you mature along your journey, you start to realize that risks are not all bad. And actually, there is a fundamental element of, sort of positivity that comes with risk or sort of opportunities that come with risk that you need to be thinking about. But that comes a little bit further down the road. On a day-to-day, it's, it's actually quite a highly stressful job. And so being resilient is important. And I think sort of doing this now for 10 years or so has taught me that I'm actually a pretty resilient person. You also studied Russian literature. And I wanted to talk a little bit about about that. How does that help shape how you think, how you learn, how you take in different different situations and even in your current role? How, how does that sort of shape you? I think I think the one thing I'd say about reading literature at university was that it does require you to be to be quite analytical and to look at things in a lot of detail, particularly when you're reading uh, literature or studying literature which is from a different language. So you know things are not automatically as straightforward as you might think. And I found that actually has has been incredibly helpful in terms of sort of setting me up for for my current role, really understanding that you need to be quite analytical, quite thoughtful in the way that you're analyzing things. 
and quite balanced in your perspective has been quite helpful. That's very much what sort of reading literature is about, trying to understand sort of the meaning beneath the word and the essence behind uh, the sentence. And I would imagine also a sense of voice as you're looking at different authors is helpful as you are talking to different individuals in the organization and understanding they've got a unique perspective and a unique um, motivation. Uh, I would Does that also sort of have a, a really big uh, big tie? Absolutely. And actually, I was fortunate enough to, to work outside of London for a number of years. And so I think that also gave me really, really great perspectives as part of my studies. I traveled a fair bit. So as you say, understanding different perspectives, understanding different cultures, understanding that you cannot have a one-size-fits-all model at all is really fundamental. Is there a book that you recommend? Well, now, this is a really hard question, and I know you would agree because you've done literature yourself. So yeah, this is a really difficult one. I think the book that I would recommend, and only because it appeals to sort of my inquisitive nature, be uh, Master of Margarita by Bulgakov. I find it it's, it's fascinating book. And obviously, it's a great piece of literature in its own right. But as I say, if you are um, sort of like-minded and uh, have an inquisitive nature, it is absolutely the right book. Uh, and as as you will discover, nothing is at all as it seems. And uh, how would it change someone after they read it? Oh, I think it will make you question things a lot, <laughs> <laughs> which is what I do best. It's what I do for a living. I love it. I love it. Is there a piece of advice? You talked a little bit about advice that helped you in this particular role, but just in life, uh, in your career, is there a piece of advice that you've uh, really been grateful for? I think just this point about building relationships. There is one thing that I've learned, and this is through not so much advice, but some coaching that I've had. I've learned that as a leader, you really need to sometimes think about the best way to get to your goal and to achieve your goal. And the, that's not always necessarily going to be following your instincts. I can give you a very recent example of a time where I thought you can't always go with your natural human reaction to things. We were recently, my team was recently due to deliver something. We had about 48 hours to, to deliver it. It was an exercise. We had 48 hours. And um, when I checked in, I, you know, we weren't quite where we wanted to be. And so at that point, I sort of pause and I thought, right, I could get very cross because we've now only got 24 hours. And that would have been my natural reaction, my natural sort of instinct to, to get a little bit annoyed. But actually, as after a fair bit of coaching, I realized that it's actually more important to achieve my objective and to sort of achieve our goal than to express how I felt. And so the only way I was really going to be able to achieve my objective was really to, to lead, to be a bit more supportive and helpful than perhaps I felt inclined to be and to really make sure that we delivered. And I think that is, for me, the sign of a true leader. It's somebody who can really put their own feelings aside for the good of the team. And actually, you know, I do really see my own job very much as being there to make my team look good. And that's certainly something that has changed for me over the years. Is there anything else that you would like to leave people with that they should be thinking about uh, after they uh, uh, close up this podcast? We mustn't forget. I mean, there's a lot of conversation around AI uh, and obviously AI has been pretty transformative and pretty impactful. 
But we mustn't forget the importance of keeping up to date with technology. And if there's a bit of advice that I was going to give to risk professionals, it would be making sure that you're staying up to speed with the pace of change in technology in its own right. And that's really, really important. Uh, I spent a lot of time recently making sure that I'm able to keep up with the changes because they are happening very, very, very quickly. And I really feel strongly that as a risk professional, you cannot properly have an insight into the risks of your business if you don't understand technology because increasingly everything that we do is going to be totally consumed by technology is going to be totally led by technology so I think that that's probably the one bit of advice that I would leave people with which is go away and and talk to your CIO talk to your IT colleagues and really make sure you understand how technology works how it impacts your business just some of the nitty-gritty that was Bahari Haywood. Thanks so much to her and thanks so much to you for listening. A transcript of this episode and my colleague's podcast, Radio Davos, is available at wef.ch slash podcasts. This episode of Meet the Leader was presented and produced by me with Gareth Nolan, Driving Studio Production. That's it for now. I'm Linda Lacina with the World Economic Forum, and this is Meet the Leader. <laughs>